I really believe um, God's, God's really moving in here this morning. I, I really believe that. I sense that during worship. Um, and we know that he's here. We don't have to ask him to come here. We know he's here because he promises that we're two or more gathering in his name that he's there. And so I want to encourage you today to recognize that. A lot of times I don't think it's that God's not present. I think it's that we're not aware of his presence. And I want to encourage you this morning, he's here. I want to encourage you, um, even if we, we need to ask God to open our eyes of faith, open our ears to hear what he's saying today, that we would know he's here to work and move in our hearts. I, I, I truly feel like uh, this is true all the time, but I, I sense this more today even that um, because of his presence, not because this is any special place, but because this is where his body, his people are gathered, that this is holy ground um, and that God desires to move in our hearts in very real, very powerful ways. And, and I believe that he will today. Um, we're going to start uh, a new series of messages today. And we've been going through these foundation cracks that we uh, looked at, you know, sometimes how in the church we don't hear a clear call to uh, follow Jesus and what that really means. Sometimes we don't hear a clear call to grow into fullness or maturity in Christ. Um, sometimes... Uh, as we looked at here recently, we don't hear a clear call to the body of Christ and growing into his body that we aren't called or saved just um, as an individual, but we're called and saved and even baptized into his body, his believers, and we're called together to one purpose on the earth. And now we're, we're going to begin looking in the, for the next uh, four or five weeks at Jesus's mission, a clear call to Jesus's mission. And what I want you to see through these weeks, one of the things I want you to see is that a clear call to follow Christ, a clear call to um, fullness and growing to maturity, a clear call to the body of Christ, all of those things um, are to bring us together to fulfill the mission of Christ. All of those things build to, to bring us to a place where we can do what we were ultimately intended to do. And we've talked about that purpose um, a lot, and we've, we've talked about it almost every Sunday, that our purpose as the church, that we're being built into this body, that our purpose is to fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus, that the earth would be filled with people who, who are reconciled to God through Christ and that every part of the earth is singing God's praises, that the earth is renewed to what it's intended to be and, and that we're called to do that. And so today um, we're going to begin looking at that more and, and really uh, hopefully beginning to understand this call that we've talked about, these two goals, that we grow to spiritual maturity and not confusing maturity with perfection. That's not the case. And not thinking that maturity is a destination. Maturity is a process. It's growing in Jesus. It's growing up in him. Um, and then to get out of that dependency model, to 
grow into who we're called to be in the body so that every part does its work. And so we're going to see more and more how this happens. Um, Today, I want to talk to you out of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And we'll look at a few other verses as well. But I really want us to look at Philippians chapter 3 because I think it provides a lot of insight into um, why we're about the mission of Christ but also a little of what's required to fulfill the mission of Christ. Um, I believe this is going to be challenging because it's been challenging to me. Um, This has been something that's been speaking to my own heart. Um, It's something that I've wrestled with myself, and I feel like God's been building uh, even me towards for a while and building our church towards for a while. I pray that this is a word in due season. I, I believe it is. I believe it's a calling to a higher standard, another level for our church. And so what I'd like to do is I just want to read the first um, six verses of Philippians chapter 3. I want to pray for us. Um, Today what I want to talk to you about is that as Christians, as the church, we are called, we're called to create, to make new paths, that lead other people to life. That's our call, is to take new ground, to create new paths that lead other people to life. So let's read Philippians 3, 1 through 6. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. He's telling them, look, I've, I've told you this before. I'm writing some of the same stuff, but this is good. This is, it doesn't bother me to do it. Um, it's a reminder for you. It's a safeguard for you. He, he's trying to keep them from being swayed by um, these people coming in and preaching and teaching a false gospel. He says, this is a safeguard. I want to remind you of the truth. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. What he's referring to is these people who come in and preach that if you really want to be saved, if you really want to have the fullness of Christ, if you really want to experience Jesus, then you need to be circumcised. And circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. Paul's trying to get them to see God's now created a new covenant, a new agreement that's through the blood of Christ, not through what we do, but through what he's done in faith and trust in his promises. He says, for it's we who are the circumcision." We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. He said, we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in Jesus. It's we who put no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And he's about to use his life as an example for them. He's about to use his life to show them why we shouldn't put confidence in the flesh and why all of our confidence, all of our life, all of our purpose should be found in Christ. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So in other words, if anybody thinks that they can accomplish salvation, if anybody thinks they can make themselves right on their own apart from Christ, he's saying, look at my life. I have more reasons that I could put my trust in myself than anybody else. Paul's not saying this to be arrogant. He's just saying, look, I worked hard all of my life up until the day I met Christ to try to make myself something, to try to find acceptance with God. And he says this, he says, 
I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, eight days after he was born, he was circumcised. He's saying, this began from the very beginning of my life. I've been observing all the rules and all the law. He says, of the people of Israel. He's from the tribe, the chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, if there's ever been a Hebrew, if there's ever been a a, a Jewish person, if there's ever been a chosen one uh, from the people of God, I am that. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, I've kept the law, the rules. I've kept them as, as stringently as you can. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. He's saying, look, I was so zealous. I I got letters from different rulers in different areas to arrest and even kill Christians, trying to destroy God's church. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, he says, faultless. He said, if you looked at my life from the outside, man, I had it all together. I had it, I had it all together. I was dotting I's, crossing the T's. I was getting it all right. Let's go on and read verse seven. But Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let's pray right there. God, I thank you for your truth and your word, God. I thank you that you did for us what we could never do ourselves. God, I thank you that you are faithful and where two or more gather, you are there, Lord. You are here right now. Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us hear your voice, God. God, shape us and mold us into the people you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever um, cut a path through the woods like with a machete or something? Everybody ever done that? You ever kind of maybe making a, going to a deer stand, you're setting up a deer stand or something, you're cutting a path, you know, and um, you, you know how hard that work is. One day, uh, there's a little pond behind our house through the woods, and so one day Reed and I, my, my youngest, were going to cut us a path to the pond dam. There was no easy way to get to it, so we were going to cut us a path. So I went, and we got on the edge of this field that... that uh, it's kind of near the pond, and we start cutting. I mean, we've got chainsaws, and Reed's got a machete. He was six. That's probably a good idea, right? Um, Six-year-old swinging a machete. What could possibly go wrong? And so we're cutting our way through to the pond dam, and, and we're cutting, 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 cutting. Finally, we come out into some, a little bit of a clearing, and I realize we're not at the pond dam. And we've been working on this thing for like three, four hours. And so we started out in the wrong place, and, and, and of course, didn't end up where we were trying to go, and so um, didn't get our, get our path cut. But the thing I can tell you is when you cut a new path, it's, it's not easy. When you cut a new path, it's, it's hard work. Uh, it's not easy. And, and I felt like what God really was, has been speaking to my heart and really put on my heart this week is that as the church, and, and listen, if you want to write down a main thought for this message, this is it. As the church... We're called to create new paths that lead to life. We're not called to walk an easy path through life. 
We're called to create new paths that lead to life, that allow other people to come to life, that lead to new places, that lead to take new territory. We're not called to take an easy path that gets us through life. We're called to create new paths that lead others to life, that lead us to life. Jesus even said that wide is the path that that, that leads to destruction. He said narrow is the path that leads to life. But we're even called now as his church to not take the easy path but to cut new paths, to to embrace the adversity of it, to even embrace the suffering of it for the name of Christ, for the name of Jesus, the one name under heaven and earth that you can be saved by. He says, take take ground. We're called to take new ground. I remember when um, I'd first gotten into ministry and I knew God was leading us somewhere else, and um, where I was at the current time, I, I was struggling because I felt like I'd come to a dead end, and I felt like, I, man, I'm, I've kind of hit the end of a, a season, of a time, and I know God's wanting me to do something different. I know this isn't where he wants me anymore, but I feel like I'm at a dead end, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and I said, man, I feel like I'm at this dead end, and the only way I know to get off of a dead end is to turn around and go back where you came from. And I guess I'm just going to turn and go back to where I came from. And he said, no, that's not it. He said, that's not it at all. He said, God's brought you to this, the end of this road because he's called you to lead and, and to go and to take new ground. He said, you've come to this dead end, not so you can turn around and go back to what's already been. He said, it's time to go and start taking new ground. And I never will forget that. And I can tell you, like, when you begin to take new ground, it's not easy. And here's what I believe about most Christians in our culture today, probably all Christians in our culture today at some point in time, some probably more than others, but for most Christians in our culture today, we spend our life trying to do two things. One, we spend our life trying to avoid adversity, discomfort, and suffering. We try to, we've even created a gospel that tells us that we don't have to suffer. We don't, there's, that Jesus evidently was a liar when he said, look, they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. Paul evidently was a liar when he says, anyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And somehow, somehow out there, there was a gospel that's created that says, listen, if you just name it and claim it, you can have it, and you never go through any trouble, and you're never persecuted, and everything's good, and if the preacher can get a mansion, you'll get a mansion. If the preacher gets a plane, you'll get a plane. If the preacher you know, is living on high, then you can live on high, and we've created this thing that tells us there should never be any adversity, any discomfort, or any suffering in the Christian life. The only problem with that is the whole Bible. But most Christians in our culture today, we do everything we can to avoid adversity, discomfort, and suffering. The second thing that we do, and we talk about this a lot here, is we continue in the church to try to make a path that brings us to God. We continue, we're not cutting a path that leads others to life and, and, and continues our pursuit of Jesus leading us to life. We're cutting paths thinking we're still trying to make our way to God. 
If I cut enough and I chop enough and I, and I do good enough and, and, and God, am I doing good? Am I doing good? Am I working good, God? Then maybe I can be accepted. But in the church today, we don't cut new paths to try to be accepted by God. We take new paths and create new paths and take new ground because we have been accepted by God. And the name above all names has saved us and we want others to experience the power and love and joy of that name and we want that name to be proclaimed throughout the earth. That's why we take new ground. That's why we create new paths. That's why we don't avoid adversity and discomfort and suffering is because the name above every name is worth it. And that's what Paul's about to say, y'all. This has been so heavy on my heart. He says in verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying all that stuff that I, I earned, we know that the Bible tells us that Paul was achieving more than all the other Pharisees. He was gaining, uh, you know, basically um, a name for himself. He was popular. And Pharisees, those religious leaders in that day, they had prestige and they were esteemed highly. And, and they were always, you know, given these honorable positions and, and they were looked at and elevated, kind of like a preacher today. And he's saying, but all that stuff, all of it, all that was gains, it's now, I consider it lost just to know Christ. He says, what is more in verse eight? I consider everything a loss. He said, not only that stuff that I had accumulated and had built my life on and, and, and the righteousness I had built up for myself, but now he says, all things I consider loss. Why does he consider loss? He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so when we look at this, this one paragraph disputes both of those things I told you that exist so much in the Christian church today. For one, he's saying, look, I'm not going to avoid the adversity and the discomfort and the suffering. In fact, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I even want to be a part of his sufferings. He tells us in Colossians chapter 1, he tells us this. He says, I fill up in my flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What is he saying? Is he meaning that he's finishing the atoning work, the, the work that, that brought us to God, the, the sacrifice for our sin? It's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying I'm finishing what Jesus didn't do on the cross. He's saying in my body, he's saying I'm being afflicted. I'm going through adversity. I'm suffering. I'm being persecuted so that the body of Christ can be built up into who it's supposed to be. He's not saying I'm completing the work of Jesus on the cross. He's saying, I'm continuing the movement that Jesus began when he rose from the dead. He, he's not telling us somehow something's lacking, 
But Paul in this is telling us, I want the power of the resurrection, but I understand. Listen, y'all. You can't understand the power of the resurrection until you join him in his suffering and death. If there was no death, there could be no resurrection. The problem for us in the church today is that we don't want to die so we can experience his life. Second thing I told you is that we're trying to make a path that leads us to life still, trying to cut our way, cut our way, cut our way. But Paul says this, the reason that all is lost for me and and the reason that I consider it lost, all things, that I consider it lost is because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And listen, Paul's no longer trying to make a path that leads him to God. He knew that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that he came to God through Jesus. And he knows that the only way I can have this knowledge of Jesus and know Jesus is because of what Jesus did. And if you look at this, he says in verse nine, I wanna be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He's saying, listen, I can't have a behavioral behavioral righteousness. I can't achieve that. He's saying, but Jesus has given me a positional righteousness. It comes by faith, a faith righteousness. And he's saying this is the only way that I can have this knowledge of Christ. But we need to even understand what he means when he says, I, I, want, I know him and I want to know him. See, we, in our language, in our understanding of this word know, we confine it to some truth held in our mind. It's just a truth held in our mind. And so churches are full of people who, who the, in truth, they, they, they hold in their mind the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. They hold in their mind the truth that, that Jesus um, is the Savior of the world. You ask anybody in the South just about it. Who is Jesus? He's God's Son. What did he do? God loved the world so much that he sent his Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's, that's good. That's great. You can quote it and you have a mental knowledge. You, you hold this truth in your mind. But what Paul is saying here is much deeper than holding some truth in your mind. What Paul is saying is, I know him, but I want to know him even more in the deepest, most personal way that I can. To know in the Bible was much deeper than a a truth held in the mind. To know in the Bible was personal, it was intimate, it was deep. And Paul's not just saying, man, I want to hang out with him. Paul's saying, and when he says, I want to know him, he's saying, I want to walk like he walked. I want to walk like he walked. Read not when we go hunting. He's eight. It's like trying to hunt with Hammy the squirrel. Just like this all the time. And, and we'll be walking. And he wanted some, some briar chaps for when we go hunting. So when we, we walk, and I'm trying to walk real quiet, you know, and been working on this for 44, well, not 44 years, about 42 years. Trying to walk quiet in the woods. And behind me, whack, 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 
And, and I swear, y'all, it's like he takes those chaps. It's like he's trying to start a fire with them when he's walking. And it's like, son, I, I, I mean, literally, I look at him I'm like, son, are you trying to make noise? And, and I'm like, walk quietly. Okay. And then I just get frustrated. I'm like, you know, I, I might as well be doing this with road flares. And, and then one day it dawned on me. I was like, I've never really taught him how to walk quietly. And so I amazingly started saying, Reed, we need to walk like this. This is what we need to do. Hey, when you see the stick, let's try not to aim for it, okay? <laughs> let's don't aim for it. Let's step over. Oh. Hey, and, and when you walk, if you kind of separate your legs instead of rubbing them together, it'll get real quiet. See, look, walk like daddy. And, and amazingly, he's gotten much better at it. But I think when Paul is talking about this, he's like, I want to learn to walk like he walks. I want my father to teach me, to empower me, to let me see with eyes of faith so that I can walk like he walks. I don't want to just have some truth held in my mind. I want to know the power of Jesus. I want to walk like he walks. He says, basically, as he's talking about the resurrection, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. He says this, I want to walk in his presence. See, here's what Paul knows. He knows that as he walks out this life and he's taking new ground and he's carrying his own cross and he's suffering and he's going through adversity and he's going through discomfort and he's going through all of these things. He knows he's not alone. He knows that the presence of Jesus is with him. He knows that God is walking with him through it all. And he realizes this, that because of his death and resurrection, he has a living God who's not somewhere in a tomb, but he's walking step for step with him, in front of him, leading him, guiding him, teaching him how to walk through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the encouragement of his presence. And then he looks, he says, and I want to fulfill his purpose. I want to fulfill his purpose. He says, I even want to know his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He's not saying, I hope I attain the resurrection of the dead. He's just saying, I don't know exactly when or how this is going to happen, but I know this, I'm going to live out my life dying. I'm going to live out my life I'm, I'm in his presence. I'm going to live out my life for his purpose. And someday, somehow, I'm going to attain to the resurrection, the same resurrection that he attained. He goes on in verses 12 through 14 and he tells us this. He says, guys, listen, and you need to hear this from me. He says, I haven't attained all this. He says, I haven't reached my goal. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on for the goal. I press on for the prize for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's he talking about? I'm pressing on towards him. And what's the prize? What's the goal? The goal is not an easy path through life. The goal is him. The goal is walking like he walks. The goal is, is walking in his presence, in his companionship. The goal is to fulfill the purpose for which he created us, that all the earth knows the power of the name of Jesus. 
If we can come in here and we can sing about the power of his name and then we can walk out the doors and not give a crap about anybody else knowing the power of his name, then I doubt we have experienced the power of his name. Paul understood that discomfort, adversity, challenges, even suffering were persecutions were a part of fulfilling his purpose. He wanted to walk as Jesus walked. In John 15, 8 through 21, I'm not going to read it because of time, but Jesus tells us very clearly, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. He tells them very clearly, look, if, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you, and they're going to do it to you because of my name. Because of my name. Why did Jesus suffer? Jesus didn't just suffer because he came and was incarnated into a fallen world. That's why he had to come and suffer is because the world was fallen and because of sin but the purpose for which he came was to reconcile the world to himself. Why do we make sacrifice? Why do we suffer? Why do we go through persecution? Why do we go through adversity? Why are we willing to go through discomfort? It's not because we live in a fallen world. Everybody around us suffers because we live in a fallen world. The persecution and the discomfort and the adversity that, that we face and that we walk through um, for, is, is for the name of Jesus. But we don't understand that because most of the time we never put ourselves in a place that that could happen. We stay on the easy path. Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself, reconcile all things to the Father. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, Paul tells us this when he's writing the second letter to the Corinthians. He says this, listen, all of this, in other words, us becoming a new creation, where he says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, all of this then, understand, is because of what Jesus did, because Jesus was reconciling the world to himself. He goes on and he says this, some of you know this. He says what? He says, and now he's given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. What does that mean? He's given us the same mission, the same ministry. But it's not gonna happen if we just try to stay on the easy path, if we never sacrifice, if, if we never face adversity. And I'll tell you this, guys, when it comes to adversity, the best thing we can do is to quit running from it and embrace it because it's coming. We have the same ministry. He told us the same thing's coming. Listen, Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, listen, understand this, Timothy, that all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, every single one of you, and listen, we've confined godly to morality. That's not the extent of godly. Godly is all that is included in the name of Jesus, his ways, his purpose, righteous living, yes, but we've tried to confine it like, oh, if we live good. Like nobody cares if you use your blinker at a red light. They're not looking at you going, that godly person, I hate them. 
Well, you know, I noticed my neighbor, he doesn't drink a beer when he cuts the grass. I don't like that, that godly guy. Nobody's doing that. Nobody cares. I mean, they're, they're not even paying attention. They probably get more mad when you, you know, you don't turn your blinker on. It's like those, those things, we've just narrowed it down to morality. And it's, that's big. That's a part of it, right? We live like Jesus lived, but it includes its purposes as well. And, and we need to understand this, that we've been given the same ministry. He goes down in verse 15, and he tells us there, he says, all of us then, and these are some issues we need to get beyond in the church. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. What's he saying? See, one of the issues we have in the church is when we look at the life of Paul or some of the saints that went before us or, or other Christians or, or the pastor, then we think that that's some super brand of Christianity. No, guys, this is normal Christianity. Paul, Jesus, Peter, the first church, all of these people, many saints who have gone before. I've been reading a, a biography about Charles Spurgeon. I'm like, wow. All of these people before, they knew this is not for the super Christian. They didn't know a version of Christianity in which this wasn't part of it. He says all of us should take such a view. All those things we talked about that drove Paul, that, that kept Paul moving, that he desired, that he wanted. All of us should take such a view. What is such a view? All of those things. Philippians 3, 17, he says this, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. When I read this, y'all, and it hit me this morning as I was going through it for about the 50th time. When I read it this morning, it hit me like a ton of bricks that one of the issues we have in living out this type of life is we don't have any examples of it around us. We've never really seen it. Why? Because the church and in, in, in our culture has not been about the mission. It's not been about wanting to know him. It's not been about, about pursuing and about his purpose. It sure, surely has not been about adversity and suffering and persecution. It's been about showing up on Sunday so I can keep hacking my way to acceptance with God. And I want to jump in, and I don't want to sling you off here going around too big a curve, but I want to go to 1 Kings real quick. It's way back in the Old Testament. And I want to share something with you that God spoke to me a while back about my own life, about where I am and, and just what he desires for me. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet Elijah, Elijah is, uh, he, he's, he's speaking on God's behalf as prophets did, but he's about to come into this battle with these prophets of Baal and Asherah. Now, these were two idols that the neighboring countries worshiped and now the Israelites were worshiping. And so he tells, tells him, he says, gather up all the prophets of Baal, which I think we're like 450. And then gather up all the prophets of Asherah, which were 400. And he says, get them together. And he says, this is what we're going to do. You're going to sacrifice 
um, a bull and you're going to put it on the altar and you're going to call on your gods to light that sacrifice on fire. And then he says, and then when you're done, he says, I'm going to sacrifice a bull and I'm going to put it on the altar and I'm going to call down fire from my God. And whoever's God lights this sacrifice on fire, that's the one true God. And so when you read this, if you get to verse um, 36, at this time, Elijah is about to pray to his God, to our God. These prophets of Baal and Asherah, really the prophets of Baal have been going around. They were cutting themselves. They were doing all kinds of stuff, trying to provoke this false God, this dead God to light a fire. But guess what? Dead gods don't do anything. And so we get to verse 36. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. So he's praying now. He's, he's talking to him. He says, answer me, Lord, answer me. So listen to why. So that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water. He had had them pour water on it in the trench. He says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. When I read this, it just struck my heart. It talks about how he prepared an altar. It made me think back to Romans 12, 1, where it tells us, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices. And then I felt like this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. Brandon, many times when you and when a church prays for God to set our hearts on fire, it doesn't happen because you haven't given him anything to light. Without a sacrifice, there was nothing to light. Oh God, set my heart on fire. Set my heart on fire. Oh, don't, don't, don't ask me for anything, but set my heart on fire. Give me a goosebump. Set my heart on fire, but don't give me any adversity. Don't make me uncomfortable. And listen, it's not a sacrifice to earn his acceptance. It's a sacrifice of worship. It even says in Romans 12, 1, this is your reasonable act of worship or service. Then I got even more convicted. First Kings chapter 19. Elijah goes through some tough times. He, he's restored by the Lord, and I'm seeing my own life in this, like really dark time, restored of the Lord. First Kings 19, 19. God tells Elijah, go to this young man named Elisha. I want you to anoint him because he's gonna be your successor. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So he's plowing. There's 12 of them plowing with, with these yoke of oxen. And it says he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he's out there plowing with these oxen. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. He puts his cloak on him. This was symbolizing, look, my anointing now is being passed to you. My, my anointing is now coming upon you. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. There's so much in here, y'all. I wish we had another hour. We don't. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? 
So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment, took to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. When I read that again and I began to think about this, this is what God put in my heart. I'm reading that and he's like, Brandon, sometimes there's nothing to set on fire. Sometimes you don't give me anything to light. Sometimes you want the fire, you want the fire, but you don't want to give me your life. You want to hold things back. And then I come to this and I read this and and see, here's the crazy thing about it, y'all. Elijah comes to him. He goes back. He kisses his mother and father and he takes these, these oxen and he slaughters them. And then he takes the wood from the plow. He builds an altar and he burns them. You know what you don't do if you've burned your oxen and plow you don't farm again what's he saying I'm leaving this behind and I'm going here and he wasn't saying look y'all keep these things fed y'all make sure my plow's in good order because if this don't work out I'm coming back no he's saying this is over this part of me is over I'm dead to this I'm going with him That's what happens at salvation. I'm dead to this. I'm going with him. I'm dead to this. I'm following him. I'm dead to this. We're going to take new ground. I'm dead to this. We'll create new paths. I'm dead to this. Come hell or high water, I'm going with him. And this is where God convicted me. God, this is so. He said, Brandon, when's the last time you burned a plow? When's the last time you took a step of faith, a meaningful step of faith that was uncomfortable, that that wasn't easy, that created adversity? Because I can tell you this, guys. When we started this church and God was moving in so many ways, I felt like I got punched in the face every day. I felt like I was getting my butt kicked everywhere I turned around. And I went into some dark years and I struggled. And there were days I literally would stand at my bedroom window and look at the yard and and I would think my life is over. And a big part of me is ashamed to say this, but I think because of the hurt and the pain and the challenge, that I started looking more for an easy path. I got tired of getting hit in the face. I got tired of people saying things. And I thought it was all over. But God restored me. God is healing me. And this is what I know. I know people took the season I was in and the challenges I was facing. And many of them hauled tail and ran. And many of them saw the emotions and they heard the the pain and they heard the struggle and they left. And I want to thank a lot of you because you stayed. I want to thank a lot of you because you prayed. Uh, the gatos, the kick lighters, all of you, so many of you, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. (laughs) 
Beth Page, Jeff Page, so many of you. I could name, I don't want to, Tammy, I could name so many of you. The staff, Bo, Chip, Charlotte, so many. And I realized that through some of those years, I didn't lead like I needed to. I couldn't. I realized that through so many years, I didn't burn any plows. But this is what I can tell you guys. I'm done. I'm done with the easy path. I, I don't want it. If it means that I die, I die. But God's put so much in my heart for us, for his church. That whatever it takes, I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. Listen, I, I don't want to be on a pedestal for you. But I want to be an example for you. I don't want to play anything safe. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, what if? What if I burned that plow? What if I took that step of faith? Guys, we're going to be a plow-burning church. We're going to take steps of faith. There's 14 or 15 acres back here that something needs to be on that helps people in this community. It's going to require sacrifice. Some of y'all, you're going to have to burn some plows. But why would we try to preserve what we can have for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years when God has so much more? In Philippians 3, that's how Paul ends it. He says, listen, these people that are deceiving you, they're, they're, their stomachs are, 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 are bottomless. They try to fill their, themselves. He says, their eyes are set on what's temporary, on what's earthly. Because we've got to lift our eyes higher. We've got to realize that our hope is not in this world. That our hope is in heaven. That our hope is in Christ. But while we're here, we give everything we have to make his name known. To fulfill the purpose that he's called us to. We're not going to be an easy path church. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to be a faithful church. We're going to be a full of faith church because we know that faith moves mountains. We know that whatever the enemy puts in front of us, that Jesus is greater. We know that his plan and purposes are perfect. We're going to keep fighting. We talked about this several months ago. We're going to keep swinging. We're going to keep moving. We're going to take steps of faith and trust God that if God doesn't show up, we are done. But I'd rather be done and, and, and go do something else or start a different work or just go back and drive nails for a living than I would sit on my hands and just keep asking God to light something that I won't give him. God, I thank you this morning for your love, God. It never runs out. 
for your grace, God. It pursues us consistently. I thank you for restoring life. Thank you for your love for each person here. I thank you for the love you've given me for each person here. My prayer, Lord, is that you would lead us, God. Lead us, God. Lead us to take new paths that lead to life. Lead us, God, to take new ground, God, for your name. Help us to be confident because we walk in the name above all names that everything in heaven and earth has been put under his feet, that we are the body of Christ, that we are connected to the head, and that means all things have been put under our feet. And so in Jesus' name, we, we can take this land, God. We thank you for that. God, help us to stand. We talked about standing firm in the tensions that exists between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Help us to be a church that stands firm in truth, that stands firm in love, God. We can fulfill every purpose, God, every purpose that you have for us, doing it all with our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faiths, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, forsaking its shame. God, help us, help us. We need you, God. I pray that we would cast ourselves on you, on you. That, God, you would raise up out of that your church, your bride, spotless, blemishless, glorifying to you. In Christ's name, amen.